In the rapidly changing world, healthcare needs are constantly evolving and clinicians need to find new ways to deliver care. And often the best way to do that is by looking back. Without Marie Curie, there would be no pioneering improvements to medical imaging today. If Edward Jenner didn't inoculate a 13-year-old with cowpox, there wouldn't even be a space for Professor Ian Fraser's cervical cancer vaccine. Our clinicians are standing on the shoulders of those who came before them, learning, growing and advancing. Hindsight isn't 2020. It's our future. As the saying goes, teamwork makes the dream work, and there's no truer place that that is on display than in healthcare. Working across professions, boundaries, and care settings, these services are partnering with consumers and jurisdictions to innovate care that is truly patient-centred. We all know about the famed Royal Flying Doctors Service, but you may not realise that Metro North, in partnership with the RFDS, is ensuring rural and remote hospitals receive timely access to general surgical procedures. This life-saving service is FIFO, but not as you know it. Just by introduction, I put the plane particularly first up because I think most of us who travel, when you hear planes, it's all exciting about holidays and new destinations and lots of fun. And I'm here to tell you that in regards flying work, it's actually really hard work. So history of the service is just fairly iconic, started by a Reverend John Flynn many years ago. This is not quite the flying doctor service. The, the surgical service started several years later, about the 1980s, and that's what I'm going to talk about for the rest of the talk. So the flying surgical service is often combined with the flying obstetrician service called the FOG, and um, you know, it's called the FSS. really started in the 80s by Tony Paul, who's now passed away, and the Russell Bennett took over, and Jim Baker in the FOG, who also has passed away since that time. So what that service was a wide range of Queensland, as you can see on this map, and currently these are the four HHSs we service here. So it covers quite a large area of Queensland, and hence the challenges, as we all know, about the geography of Queensland is very large. Distances sometimes are absolutely huge, and that often leads to quite unique characteristics of healthcare, particularly in the rural environment, and surgery is not any different to any other parts of healthcare. We have very large distances. Geography is, is huge. We have a population that's scattered throughout there, various smaller towns, bigger towns, and then the vast area. And we have a unique burden of disease out in the country, often weird and wonderful pathologies, particularly in surgery. And I think it's fair to say that patients now expect care the same as they would in, in a uh, metropolitan thing. I don't think there's any excuse why uh, people in remote areas should expect less care or at least the quality of care they get. The Flying Surgical Service, as I said, started in the 80s. We got involved in about 2015 due to a clinical incident. Initially, as I said, the service functioned from the late 80s by resident surgeons who resided in town, usually in Roma, and serviced the, uh, the population from there. Unfortunately, you know, things have changed we don't have those resident people anymore. When the last full-time surgeon retired, they advertised for many, oh, I think about a year and a half, and couldn't find anyone to take that position. 
And so it uh, functioned on locums, which were senior people, but from New Zealand, from interstate, with very little knowledge of local geography and stuff. The service did struggle for years, which I found out after this review, uh, and many previous reviews, some of them financial, many recommendations, uh, none of which were enacted, and they all sat on a shelf. At even times, the, the validity of service, you know, should we still continue it, was questioned. But because it's a relatively iconic service, no one was game enough to say, don't uh, proceed with it. So as mentioned, we got involved about 2015. Due to a clinical incident, the chief executive at the time gave me a ring, I think it was phone a friend, although we'd actually done a project many years before, and said, uh, can you come and have a look at this case? Without going into too much detail, it was a relatively routine semi-urgent case, pathology, what you'd see, expect in any reasonable centre, well equipped for the, the hospital. It was just unusual pathology at the time, a surgery. A specialised surgeon did the operation, but as it turned out, had minimal uh, backup from interstate, couldn't phone a friend, and ended up with a relatively poor outcome. Patient survived, but a long and very tedious process. Got this phone call, decided to put a team together, and uh, many thanks still to Robin Brumpton, I think she's still doing that job, who arranged a whole week of interviews about every man around the country, plus flew around the place to try and, and do this review. That photo was taken the afternoon after a whole day interviewing. It's about 40 degrees. The hotel at the back is where we stayed, motel, and it was nice and air-conditioned. And we just sat inside and did, did as much as you could. So what did we come up with? First major thing that we did, you needed a linkage to a major metropolitan centre. I think the days gone by, as the history showed, you wouldn't get people um, to live in the town again. We're just not trained. There's family commitments, education for children, all those sort of issues. So the carrot was to have a linkage to a major metropolitan thing. Uh, establish a clinical lead. At that time, the locums would come in, shake hands at the airport, and then uh, go on and do their three-week stint. And that was about as much handover as you would expect. And also, same with the perioperative nursing environment. Uh, there were some excellent perioperative nurses, but they just weren't coordinated enough together. So you needed to establish a team, have a database where you can collect what you're doing, wasn't even aware that, as you see, we flight about 16 centres at what was done to the whole service. There was no one database to see how much you're doing where. And just a core, very basic, simple things. This is probably a bit controversial as of the last couple of months, but no real reporting system for the endoscopy service. And as I'll show later, one of the greatest needs we found from patients was endoscopy, which we can do closer to home and, and they don't have to travel. And a formal peer review process, as you'd expect in a modern 2020 hospital, that you look at your results, look at your outcomes, and, you know, we're doing a good service or not. So fairly straightforward, even from uh, basic things, uh, the flying, the locum surgeon was having to do their own reports. The AOs were sitting in another room, but they just didn't talk to each other to do the report, so you're paying someone a lot of money to write up a report. And, you know, looking just at storage of equipment and sterility. So we put this together in about 2016 and it sort of joined the shelf with the rest of the reports for a while, was going to go to their board and then was sort of somehow found a couple of years later. And it's a Queensland Health Initiative, so it is a bit separate from the Flying Doctor. It commenced uh, January of last year. Of course, we had to go to uh, finding surgeons that do the job, torture and all sorts of stuff were employed. 
it's a, still a difficult job there out from families and also with the training you've got to be credentialed in endoscopy as I said that'll be a major take so it needs quite a special person to fill that role and they don't just live off the shelf. What we came out the plan was and at the behest of South West it starts it started at Monday to Friday the previous service was seven to seven and then I thought oh that might be a reasonable thing at least to start off with so they fly out of Brisbane they're based at Prince Charles the health service went out to who would uh, be silly enough to run the service and we were lucky enough to score that gig. And it covers, as, as mentioned before, a large area of uh, Queensland. 16 sites I think we fly to. It's actually quite small plane. You just chuck the gear in the back and away you go. It's a, it's a little bit uh, smaller than the usual ones we fly commercially with. Some of the places we visit, this is St George. So you just realise just how flat the country is and how incredibly hot it is. When I was there, it was like about 40 degrees in the shade. So this is the plane and you park it at the end of the tarmac when you arrive to whatever town and the pilot puts the shades over it and locks it and hope it's there when you come back. This is the fog guy walking back to the plane so no one's stolen it so far. What have we done so far? In the first year we purposely kept things fairly steady and this is the business slide. Over 2,000 cases in clinic, just under 500 scopes. Uh, elective surgery, just under 300. The emergencies while they're there, uh, 50. And complication rate in our peer review process was just under 2%. All of them are minor wound infections, uh, graft failure and split skin graft. So what is our future? We've just really tried to be collecting as much as what we can do in the first 12 months. We have a lot of way to go in refining some of those recommendations that we initially set out to do. We've got a lot more work to do, but hopefully this is the first step. So this is Roma taking off, and I'm sure Francis and Rule like that view on Friday afternoon. Thank you very much. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.